All right, we are going to go to Exodus chapter 33. We'll have a little bit more in the book of Exodus before we move on. Uh, we're going to actually kind of jump to numbers in a few weeks and pick up the, the narrative a little bit, finish out some of the story. So Exodus chapter 33, if you have your Bible, I call today going nowhere without God. So when I was a youth pastor, back in my youth pastor days, you get crazy ideas as a youth pastor. You just, I don't know, it just requires part of, sorry Dan, it's part of the job requirement. You get some crazy ideas. This crazy idea that I had was I was going to gather up, uh, you know, lots of high schoolers and we were going to travel down to Washington, D.C. for uh, about, about five days, six days, something like that. And there was a super conference going on down there, a Christian, like, huge conference, 20,000 high schoolers all meeting together in the convention center in Washington, D.C., some of the biggest Christian artists and the biggest Christian speakers, and, and it was just this powerful, wonderful time together. On the last night that we were there, I thought of this this week because of the inauguration this week, the last night we were there, we had, they had a concert out on the National Mall. Really, not exactly where the inauguration happened, but just a few blocks up, but looking the same direction. They set up a stage, and there were 20,000 teenagers from that stage back to the Washington Monument. It, it was an incredible, incredible experience. I had been counting heads all week long. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Making sure that I had all of the teenagers with me. Because although they were you know, mature enough to kind of take care of themselves. They were not mature enough to know that getting lost in Washington, D.C. was not something, especially before cell phones. We really didn't have cell phones. Getting lost was going to be a big, big hassle. So I was kind of weary of that, and we got to this, uh, to this event on the National Mall. We got our spot. We had a good spot. It was up pretty close to the front. And just something inside of me said, Mark, you need to have a plan in case this goes sideways in case we get separated. So, because it's just a massive crowd of people. So I gathered them all together. I said, come with me. We walked over to this road. It was a, it was a crossroad right in the middle of the mall. And I said, guys, right here, this spot right here, if something happens and we get separated, we're all coming right here to this spot. And I said it as bluntly, as clearly, as repetitively as you need to say it for high schools, high school or teenagers to know this is where we are. Everybody know what we're doing. If we get separated, where are we coming? Right here. Okay. So the night went on, and we, we enjoyed ourselves. I think uh, Audio Adrenaline was the last band to, to play, and they got off the stage, and we were waiting for the next people to come up, and somebody got up on the stage and said, there is a storm coming, an unexpected storm, a lightning storm, right now, and we need to seek shelter right now. No, there was no weather report for this. This was just like, all of a sudden, they were like, there's a cloud right there over the Smithsonian that's coming our way, and we're going to be in the middle of it, so disperse. So immediately, 20,000 teenagers got up and walked in different directions towards all these buildings that are around the National Mall. But my group of teenagers went to the spot. <laughs> so I counted up, and I was one short. So I counted again. I was one short. So I started looking around, and I realized who it was. And I said, who knows where he is? And everybody's like, I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. While we're kind of like stunned and standing there, it starts to pour. And the lightning comes in. And all these teenagers, all these good teenagers who did what they were supposed to are looking at me like, Pastor Mark, <laughs> we're getting bored on. 
and we're about to get killed by lightning. <laughs> what do we do? So I said, you guys head back to the hotel. I sent them back with the leaders and like, you guys go back to the hotel. I got to find this guy. So the just, I mean, it was like end of days kind of storm. It was just coming sideways at us. It was just unbelievable. But I'm walking around building to building, knocking, like opening up lobbies, seeing all these people huddled there. Hey, are you here? Are you here? Nobody's. I'm walking around buildings. I mean, and if you've ever been on the National Mall, you know there's just an endless supply of buildings around there. It was completely hopeless, completely overwhelming. But one thought that never struck me was to just shrug my shoulders and say, oh, well, I brought most of them back, so... I guess it's all right. I wasn't leaving that place until I found him. And about 45 minutes later, the storm had stopped. I was completely soaked. And I'm kind of looking around as people start coming out of these buildings. And here comes my team from one of those buildings. He survived. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) But the thing about that was, it never occurred to me to leave without him. I wasn't going to leave that place without him. It was so vital, so central, so core, that there was no way I was going to go get comfortable or or relieve myself of of all of the kind of burden and stress of it to just say, oh, well, I wasn't going to go without him. And today, as we look at this passage, the thing that this passage always does to me is it asks me, what is so important in your life that you will not go anywhere without it? Or maybe the other way around, what is it that you have been willing to leave behind? How many of those scenarios have you seen posted on social media where it's like, you could live in this beautiful cabin, but you have to leave internet or Facebook or something behind. Would you do it? You know, and you're like, like somebody's actually giving you that opportunity and they need your answer right now. So everybody answers, oh yes, I would. No, I wouldn't. But it's this tension of, would you be able to live without this thing? Would you be able to leave this behind? Is it worth it to lose one thing to gain another? You make that choice every time you buy stuff. You give your money to get something. And hopefully you make the evaluation of, is it worth it for me to have that to give this? I think we make that that evaluation all the time in the choices we make with the time and the attention that we spend every day. I'm not saying you have choice about every minute of your life. There are some things you're required to do, but I do know you have the choice about where you spend the time and attention that is yours. You don't actually have unlimited time and attention. And I'm not sure if everybody is aware of the the price that you're paying to give these precious, unrenewable resources to things that aren't actually helping you and aren't actually making any real difference in your life or the world. We're just sucking in all of this information. How much time have you spent giving your time and attention to America's issues compared to how much time you've given and attention you've given to your Lord? I wonder if we recognize what we're missing, what we're leaving behind. Have we been willing, in effect, to leave the Lord behind in our lives? I think we're going to see today that that's a little trickier than that question is. This is a really significant passage in my life, in my heart, and in the life of our church. It's one of the first things we talked about as we decided to go forward. Because we agreed together that we were desperate to be a church that only went wherever the Lord went. 
that we were not content with God to point the way for us. We wanted him to go with us. We wanted him to be ours. And we weren't going anywhere without him. We haven't done it perfectly. We haven't done it all the time. But that is our pursuit. And as a church, that is what we we are after. God, we want you more than anything. So let's start this in, in Exodus chapter 33, the first six verses. It says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. That was my verse for that day in Washington, D.C. I might destroy you on the way back. to. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Israel had messed up. They had built a golden calf. They had worshipped it. And here is the fallout. And as you begin this fallout, I think if we know the, the Sunday school, the Christian, the right answer, it's like, yeah, this is bad. Except I don't know if this was your life, if you would think this is bad. Let me show you what I mean. God says to Moses, all right, you blew it. Now go to the land that I promised you. That land that I said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to give it to your descendants. All right, time to move on. My promise remains. There's more than this place, this this mountain, this, this, this wilderness. There's more than this place. I didn't promise to bring you to a mountain. I didn't promise to give you a law. I promised more than setting you free from slavery and oppression. I promised you a destination, and I am sending you there. My promise has not changed. You still have my promise. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you and drive out all of these nations. You will be victorious. And remember, just a couple months before they had faced a battle, they were very aware of the danger of battle. God says, as you go into battles, I will still protect you. You will still have my power and you will still win. You have my promise. You have my protection. You have my power. Verse 3, Go to that land flowing with milk and honey. You have my provision, my providence. You have my blessing. You have all of that stuff, but you don't have me. Deal? I wonder how much of us has been wrapped up in God, give me your stuff. Not one thought about God, give me you. The passion in our life for Him is something we don't even recognize the deficit of. I wonder what we would say. You can have my power, my protection, my promise, my providence, just not me. Deal? I wonder if we are satisfied with just that. Do we even notice it? that deal? Are we okay with it? I think for most of us, there's a natural drift from real life with so much to do and so many things to keep track of and so many stresses in our life that we don't even realize how far away 
God's presence is from our lives. Do we want Him or what He can do? Do we want God or what He can give us? How desperate are we for the Lord? If God put that deal in front of you, and I think in many respects, that's the deal we keep asking God for. God, keep your hands out of my business. Let me decide what I do and where I go. If you could just give me your power, if you could just give me your protection, if you could just give me your blessing, no strings attached, please, God. Could you just let me be in charge? Could you give me the stuff? Could you give me the ability and then get out of my way so I could go live my life the way I want to? I wonder if we've missed what really matters. And because of that, we live empty. We live lost. We live dark. We live weak. We live worn out. Because what we really needed is the thing we said, okay, I'll do without that for all the rest of this. We've made a deal that stinks. And unfortunately, God allows us to make that deal over and over again. Israel sees this for what it is, bad news. News worth mourning. They put away the remnants of their rebellious celebration and they face the fallout of their sin. They're like, we're not going anywhere until we figure out how to get God to go with us. God's removing of His presence was something that wrecked them. Believer, I'm asking if the Spirit of God would show you where God's presence has been in your life. And I'm asking if that wrecks you or if that's no big deal. They have been brought face to face with the serious nature of the rebellion, their sin and its consequence, but they have always had God's presence right there. A cloud and a pillar of fire and now a mountain and smoke and His voice thundering out. As a matter of fact, they so wanted God's presence that they built a golden calf and they said, now we can see God. And because of that desire for God's presence to be visible and known, they were about to lose God's presence. Jump down with me to verse 12. Moses goes up to plead for for Israel with the Lord, to plead for God's presence. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses goes up before the Lord and says, God, you have to go with us. You have to come with us. This nation is your people. You have to go with us. We want you. And what Moses connects that to is knowing you is learning your ways, being guided by you. Knowing God is not some good vibes and some indescribable experience. It is about trusting Him so much that you follow Him. 
that you long for his ways to be your ways, that you live for him and you live with him, that you walk the paths he walks, and you learn how to walk like he does. It is very practical, not vague and unknowable. These things come up again and again. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you love me, keep my command." Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. We know that one. The next verse is, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Knowing God is also just intricately tied to following God. Now, you can keep His commands without His presence. You can keep His commands without knowing Him. You can keep His commands and not care that much about passion for Him. But you can't have passion for God without saying, tell me how to live. You can't do it. You cannot receive the grace of God and then ignore the rest of what God has for you. You cannot love Jesus or know God without learning and following His ways. Knowing God, having His presence in your life is life-changing. And it ought to be every day. So Moses says to him, it basically, if you like me, if I have your favor, this is what I want. If there's anything you'll give me, I want one thing, you. People of God, be honest with yourself. If there's anything I want from God, if there's one thing I could have from God, this is what I would want. What's in that fill in the blank? Is it you? Moses says, we need you. We want you. These people are mourning because their actions have put your presence in jeopardy. But I'm asking you not to separate from us. Go with us. Now, the back and forth after that seems a little bit confusing because God says, okay, I'll go with you. And then Moses keeps going. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. The reason is because the word you is both singular and plural. And in this passage, it's singular. I will go with you. Moses, I'll go with you. I like you. I'll go with you. It is very singled out. Moses keeps going in this argument because God says, I single you out and I will go with you. The people, they're on their own. How many of us would be willing to be singled out and and say, well, at least it's not me. I mean, I know God. I'm pretty good. I'm glad you're going to come with me, but that's not what Moses does. Moses pleads for the people that he leads. If you are a leader in any realm, this is a vital truth. Your leadership isn't about you. It isn't about your reputation. It isn't about your standing. It isn't about the record of whether you've done the right thing or the wrong thing. Your leadership is about the people God has given you. Seek their good. Watch over them. Sacrifice for them. Selfish leaders are just bullies and abusers of the position that God has given them. So your position might just be, well, I'm a parent. You are a parent for the benefit of your children, not for your own reputation, not for your own good feelings, not for your own experience. So many times I hear parents say, well, uh, you know, I just can't stand it when my kids feel like this or like that. Well, who can't stand it? It isn't about you, is it? It's about them. And I'm not saying that that can't help you because you have passion for them. I'm saying it can't be about what you can take and what you can't take. It has to be about what's good for those that you're leading. 
So God says, Moses, you're okay. The people are not. And Moses keeps going, God, if you don't go with us, with us, don't take us up from here. We don't want to go anywhere without you being with us. God talks about rest. And the rest there is the promised land. That, well, God's not taking us. We're not leaving today and going marching out to some promised land. But the author of Hebrews tells us that that was just a symbol for something that a greater rest that awaits us. That rest is the presence of God. We all know that there's a rest we need. How many of you know you need rest? We know it. The author of Hebrews says there awaits a rest for the people of God. And we pursue it and we churn and we push and we struggle and we question and we doubt. But we don't know where it is because it's not a place and it's not an achievement and it's not a status. It's a person. Your rest is in the presence of God. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. We just want you, God. Nothing else. We don't, the promised land is nice, but it's nothing without you. Victory in battle is nice, but it's nothing without you. We don't want your stuff. We want you. Then this amazing scene happens at the end of this chapter from verse 18 down to verse 23. It says this, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Can you imagine this? Sometimes it's pretty cool to try to like figure out what, what did Moses see and what was that experience of being covered by the hand of God and how does someone say, God, I want to see your glory? And God say, yes, I will show you my glory. I will tell you this, wanting God brings a greater vision of him. If you wonder why God feels far away, maybe it's because you want Him far away. Well, no, I don't want Him far away. Yeah, maybe you do. Because every time God tries to come in and shake your life, every time God tries to start building something in your life that is for His kingdom and His glory, you push it away. You try to pray it away. Maybe we need to change what we're praying about in, from God do this and do that and please stop this and stop that. To God, I want you. I want to see you. I want to know you. Wanting God, having a passion, having a desperation for God's presence in our life will let you see Him more clearly in your life. And when He says, when God says, I will show you my back, it's probably not the God the vision of God, the, the reality of God that we will see in heaven and eternity. God has represented himself to his, the Israelites in some created ways where like the cloud and the pillar of fire and things. So he creates a way for Moses to see some physical manifestation of him. 
The difference is God is exposing Moses to more of his glory. And he connects it to this idea of his face, which is about his goodness. The full weight of God's glory was too immense for fallen man. So God says, I'm going to give you as much as you can handle. So you will know my presence and you will see my glory. Maybe glory to you is kind of a hard word. I like to simplify it. So whenever I think about God's glory, I think about this. And this is absolutely an oversimplification, but it it helps me when I think about what is glory. Glory is power and beauty in overwhelming measures. All of us, and I would say Christian or not, are drawn to power and beauty through our whole lives. Think about it. Think about the the professions in our world that make ridiculous amounts of money. What are they about? Power and beauty, right? Like you watch sports on a Sunday afternoon. What's that about? It's about skill. It's about power. It's about the the, the beauty, the wonder of someone's strength on display. Or you go watch a movie about superheroes. What's that about? It's about being marveled by power. Or beauty, art, music, things that stir your soul. What I would say to you is that while sometimes we are baffled by how much money those people can make, the reason we do it is because we are, pers- we are people who are programmed to need God's glory. We just don't know it. We don't know how to put it together. And so God's glory is what we're searching for, but we can't fully experience it, so we keep chasing things that remind us of it, that, that kind of feel like it. We watch those things that, that are power so we can be energized by strength, and we watch things that are beautiful because we are pulled towards beauty, and thinking about them in infinite measure is what God's glory is. Someday, we will be filled up with God's glory, with His power, and with His beauty. So God reconfirms the covenant to a people that are lost. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. God essentially says to Moses, I am reconfirming the covenant with Israel. You blew it. You messed up. It was up for grabs whether my presence was going to go with you or not. But we've clarified. You've clarified. You want my presence. And that's what we need going forward. Great story. What do we do with it? What happens in our life because of it? Is this just all those losers 3,500 years ago who didn't know better and did all these crazy things and we can just laugh at them and point at them? Or do you see yourself in this stuff? I think we start by letting God show us how we've been content with what He can give us and not desperate for Him. If you could walk away from today with one thing, I think that could be a focus of your prayer this week. God, I think I need to learn the difference between your presence and your gifts. What you're doing in my life versus whether you're in my life. We get attacked here all the time. God never leaves us, but when he doesn't give us stuff, we get in crisis, right? God, where are you? When God doesn't do something, we're like, God, where are you? As though God doing stuff is His presence. 
or we get addicted to the stuff that reminds us of His glory, of His goodness, of His power, of His protection. We chase it and chase it and chase it. We can never get enough because it's not actually Him. It's just a reflection of Him. So we get sucked into to gorging on things that can never satisfy us. Today, let me ask us to think about this. Why is it so normal for us to want what God can do or what God can give instead of Him? Does that matter to us? And if it does, can God sort that out? My prayer is that God will show us His glory, that we will be able to experience it. We have, but we've been so distracted by it. The Word of God says the heavens declare His glory. When was the last time you looked at the heavens? When was the last time you looked at your phone? We're so distracted from His glory. The creation around us declares His glory, but we have been distracted from it. You have experienced God's glory and salvation. When was the last time you dwelt on that in your soul? That you are saved by grace. That you were lost and broken. That your life was absolutely hopeless. There was nothing you could do to fix the brokenness, the shatteredness of your soul. And God in His goodness sent Jesus to die in your place. And He rose again so you could be saved. You have experienced His glory. But have we forgotten it? Is it way over there? Let's ask God to show us His glory again. And let's not be satisfied with anything less than Him. Let's see what God does with that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come with souls that want to be thirsty for You, desperate for Your presence, for You in our lives. So Father, show us, teach us, lead us. There are hundreds of different applications of this in this room right now. Hundreds of different ways your spirit needs to work it out in each soul, in each life. But, Father, you know us intimately and you know how to get to work on us. In the places where this stuff has grabbed us, where, where we have settled for so much less than you. So, Father, let us be aware that that thirst that has been driving us to, to worry, to fear, that, that thirst that's been driving us to greed or lust or, or any of those other things, Father, is really just a thirst for you, a thirst for your presence in our lives. Open our eyes so that we can see the reality of that. Teach us your ways so we can walk in them with you. Father, without your presence, don't take us anywhere. Give us your presence. Even as we go from this place, let us know that you are with us moment by moment, day in and day out. Let us be your people, not in name only, but your people because you are with us and we know you are with us every minute of the day. Father, do this in us, we pray. For we ask it this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.